In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. Ben Grant joined as always by JB after a pretty terrible football game that saw the Edmonton Elks defeat the Toronto Argonauts 13-7. We're here to break it down for you, uh, what there is to break down, but it was just an unusual game from the get-go. One of the worst football games I've probably ever seen. It reminded me of a, a preseason game and I guess for me like I sort of expected that because you know I saw the lineup that they were putting out there I know what the Edmonton team is like so I wasn't expecting much but this was below expectations even when they were uh, set way down there JB have you recovered from watching this game yet uh no I'm not very happy with the hours of my life that were taken I would (laughs) like them back uh, I can't argue with you on that. It was it was it was a terrible football game. There was not much you can say about that. I think one of the most telling stats at the end of the day that really explains what we were watching out there is you've got three quarterbacks that that attempted passes and Cole McDonald's four for eight for fifty percent was by far the most efficient performance and the performance that resulted in the highest quarterback rating even though he had no touchdowns and one interception. It was, it was just not a, it was not, it was not a good day. Uh, Edmonton sort of was able to run the ball. Toronto sort of was able to run the ball. Nobody could throw it. And neither team seemed that interested in, in winning the game late. And I, I guess from an Argo standpoint, and the way that I'm choosing to look at this is it was a game that didn't matter. The, a game that I think very clearly they didn't want to have happen. Uh, they were probably annoyed at the Elks in the first place for making this game happen now as opposed to months ago when it was supposed to. And they just didn't put any, it just didn't seem to be any real effort into it. And so it was it was a really flat performance uh, from both teams. And yeah, one of the worst regular season games I, I've ever seen in the CFL. <laughs> yes. So that said... Let's break it down, JB. Let me mm. let me start off with a few things before kickoff. So, it it was not a big crowd there at BMO, and I you know I, I can't blame anybody. It's a, a game that doesn't mean anything. It's against Edmonton. It was pretty quiet. Uh, still end up with over six thousand. I actually didn't think it was going to make it there. Uh, crowd came in late, and there was a lot of other stuff going on. You had Canada soccer going on. Leafs were playing. Game didn't mean anything. You weren't selling a lot of tickets to Edmonton fans, so it's not like the Hamilton game or a game where you're going to get a lot of a traveling crowd. So, yeah, it was it was pretty quiet, and it just seemed it seemed like a, a preseason affair from the start. You didn't even have the banners flying on the south a south end of the field. They didn't have the you know the uh, all time Argos, and that's usually how I gauge the wind and the field conditions before the start of the game. And I went to look up the banners to see which way they were blowing, and and they weren't there. Um, now, talking to the Argos video guys, uh, John Magri and, and Josh Burton, they say there was one other game this year where there were no banners flying in the south end. I don't remember that one myself offhand, but yeah, it looked it looked very odd. So from the lack of people in the stands to the banners not there to the, the, the little impact that this game was going to have, it was just a weird feeling from the get-go. Now... We were excited about seeing some players in this game. Uh, one of the players I was most interested in was watching Toshiki Sato 
who uh, was in for his first ever game as an Argonaut, kicking for Boris Beattie today. And watching him warm up, I was pretty excited. He was kicking field goals from 55. That seemed to be sort of his cap, which on a cold day is, is, is nice. Uh, and uh, and he was putting everything through. So pregame, I thought, you know, he's going to end up with his chance. You and I, JB, thought that maybe the game would end with the Toshiki Sato field goal and he'd be carried off into the sunset. But that was obviously not to be. Now, a cool thing about it, though, was that there was actually a media there from Japan, which was uh, new, covering the game. And I thought that was was really neat. And I got uh, a chance to talk to uh, the reporter that was there covering uh, Sato. And, and we, you know, we talked about the excitement. And we talked a little bit about Big Blue and um, and uh, j- just generally Japanese football, which is something that I really fell in love with during uh, or leading up to the global draft. So that was just kind of cool. That was something new for me. But that was all the excitement pregame. And little did I know that would be the evening's highlight. Uh, it it started off okay, I guess, not <laughs> in terms of excitement, but not in terms of quality of play. So the very first play of the game, you've got Antonio Pipkin dropping back. He goes deep. I'm ready to stand up off my chair, but it is picked off. And that was a little bit of foreshadowing for what was to come in this game. Uh, Now, what made it better slash worse was that uh, I believe two plays later, uh, Taylor Cornelius was also picked off on a really nice play by uh, Robertson Daniel, who uh, was in man coverage. He basically jumped a comeback route intended for Darrell Walker. And I thought he was going to take it all the way back. Uh, He didn't quite get there. Pipkin came in and Pipkin looked great in the second possession. He was able to find his own space. It was three straight run plays, uh, got into the end zone. And then Toshiki Sato missed the extra point, which uh, was a little bit soul crushing for me because I was really pulling for him to have a, a great game. And he just, he had such a rough start. Uh, and JB, you were saying during the game to me that you think that some of his struggles early on punting may have had to do with that missed extra point early on. How does that work? Well, I mean, he, I mean, he's not a punter. You know, the the idea of BD being punter and kicker is is really a rarity. So I thought it was kind of unfortunate that he was kind of dropped into this position where now he had the punt where. You know he he's not a punter he's a place kicker and you know maybe you know the first the first field goal miss i think was a tough one because it was his first kick and the you know the the mechanism was poor i mean the ball did get set but you know i i think it's tough on your first kick to not have a clean a clean hold um and i think that probably got in his head and then with the punting you know, you hit a bad punt. It, it's like golf. It's exactly like golf. You, you, it gets in your head, and it, it's very hard to kind of pull out when you're when you're not hitting it very well. It just, it just kind of gets worse and worse. So I, I thought that um, I felt he was pretty hard done by. Actually, I thought they put him in a really poor position, um, and I was really disappointed they didn't give him a chance to kick a field goal at the end of the first half, which is what he does. He, he's not a punter. Yeah, it would have been nice to see. And I, I tried to I tried to kind of think about, you know, how that all went down and the different scenarios that maybe going, were going through Coach Dinwiddie's head. And initially my thought was, because uh, we're talking now at the, the end of the first half, so 
Uh, Edmonton's now got up in front. Taylor Cornelius had a huge touchdown drive of 75 yards. Um, a lot of running from him as well. Uh, they end up adding a field goal. So they're they're leading 10 to 6 at that point. Late in the half and two different third downs well within Sato's field goal range. And both times Coach Dinwiddie decided to go for it. The first was a third and eight from the 30. So that would have been a 37-yard field goal. They converted that. But then they ended up, I think it was on the 15-yard line. It, it was a uh, it was a third and five this time. And they opted not to kick again. And this one they were unable to convert. I think I think there was a sack on the play. And, and that really was the difference. You know, if we care about the result here, that was sort of the difference in the game. Because you think if that's a field goal there... Now, late in the game, instead of being down by six and needing a touchdown, you really just need the field goal. And they were well within field goal range at the end of the game on a couple of occasions and were you know unable to go for it at that point because they were down by a touchdown. So, yeah, not only was it a little unfair to the to the kicker and Sato, but it, it strategically seemed to backfire. But I, I think I'm going to chalk that up to Coach Dinwiddie looking at this as a game that doesn't matter. Like, clearly the Argos didn't feel this game mattered. Otherwise, they would have started somebody that was going to be playing in, in the playoffs. And I, I think the way he looked at it is, you know, I've, I'm not going to have Sato kicking for me in the playoffs. I am potentially going to have Antonio Pipkin out there. Let me get some reps with some pressure. He's got to convert third downs. Let's see if we can get him some touchdown passes. Uh, that's the only way I could justify it. Yeah, I, I, I guess. Um, I don't know. I think... Uh, to me, if if you're treating this game like they did as nothing, then let them kick a field goal. I, I don't think you can be like, oh, we're doing this for practice. And like, come on, man, I watched that game. There was no professional intent to win that game. So that's fine. That's what you've chosen to do. Then, you know, give my man a chance to kick a field goal after you hung him out to dry kicking punts all game. You know, I thought that was Bush. Yeah, I I definitely would have sent him in there for the field goal because, but I, I think that's, I think I'm sentimental like that though, because like, I feel like he'd earn that just the same way that I felt Pipkin should start today, even though it, by the same rationale that Coach Dinwiddie seemed to be using today, really Cole McDonald should have started. If we're going to keep everyone out of harm's way and we're not being sentimental about anything, then... Yeah, 100%. You can't... You can't be kind of like, oh, sometimes I am, and sometimes I nod, and I can use it to defend, and then not defend it. Right? I I totally agree. I think, you know, pick a lane. I I I I do. I felt mad. I felt mad. I thought they hung about the dry because they didn't care about him. If you want my honest opinion. And it was so unfortunate too. Like Hoagie had such a nice piece on him earlier in the week, and there was just a lot of hype around him. Everyone was excited to see. I think all fans of all the players that fans were excited to see today, I think he would be number one on the list. Yeah, and, and he missed his first field goal, but I mean, it was a bad mechanics. I mean, Pipkin didn't get a clean a clean put down, so I, I I don't think you can hold that against him. And then to not go back to him, I just thought was, you know. I, as you can tell, I'm not very happy with the game at all. And I'm not very happy with that decision because it smacks to me of football mentality that I've spent my whole life dealing with, you know, that just, you know, there just is no respect for kickers. And I thought that game was a perfect example of them treating him as not a member of the team. 
Something that was going well for the Argos, and maybe the only thing that was going well for the Argos early in the game was the running attack. So you had Cam Scarlett in there who really played pretty much every snap at running back. I know that AJ Ouellette was listed as the starter, but he didn't get any touches and I didn't even see him on the on the bench. And so this was Scarlett's show. He ran really well. I thought he I thought he handled things really well. And I think one of the big differences when you look at the runs that he was able to put together and you compare it to what we've seen over the last few weeks from uh, DJ Foster and John White before that, there's a big difference when you as a running back are running with a running quarterback under center or in shotgun in this case. Because the defense has to respect that. When it's McLeod Bethel Thompson handing off the ball for running inside zones or for running read options, you don't have to respect Macbeth the same way that you have to respect Antonio Pipkin. Because we saw when they weren't respecting him, Pipkin took off. Pipkin ended the day as the leading rusher on the Argos, actually the leading rusher in the game. Nine carries for 78 yards, averaging 8.7 a carry. That is the effect that he has on, on Cameron Scarlett. So... A lot of Cameron Scarlett's yards, and he averaged almost six yards a carry, a lot of them are attributed to the the space that's created by them having to respect Antonio Pipkin. And Pipkin making those good reads, deciding when to hand it off, deciding when to pull it himself, and, and that helps in the run game. So it's unfortunate that we didn't see a better passing game from Antonio Pipkin. His, his numbers passing below 50%, 10 of 22, 111 yards and a pick. It's unfortunate because he did make some really nice decisions early on. He really made some nice runs. But it unfortunately, you know, as has been the case before, the the passing just wasn't there. And you, you need it to be in the CFL game. Yeah, it was, you know, it was uh, it was not a great performance. Um, it's nice to see, you know, I agree. Like he looks like he could be, uh, you know, a running back who could be in the mix. Uh, he caught the ball out of the backfield a couple times. He looked, you know, fine. So, you know, in terms of him coming in um, and being the, the third running back, I thought that was okay. Like, I, I wouldn't say he was electric, but he looked capable. So that's, I, I think that's probably the only good takeaway from, from the offensive side of the ball tonight. And he also looked good in pass protection. He didn't have that many... Uh, occasions where he stayed in the block but a few and he looked good and and that was saying something today because the line really didn't hold up well in pass protection they run block pretty well but man there were some real misses uh, all across the line pretty much every lineman that was in there today I, I think Churchill and and Richards played all right uh, it was pretty rough from both tackles and from the center. And some really good plays, some plays where I was watching, you know, and I did have an eye on them. I had my binoculars trained on the line a lot this game. And, you know, some plays where I was like, oh, yeah, that was that was a really nice block. That was a nice pickup. But then on the very next play, someone would completely whiff. And then Pipkin would have to throw the ball early or take a sack or take a hit. And you just you can't you can't play football like that. So that was upsetting. But it was good to see Cam Scarlett, as you said looking pretty good and the fact that he can pass protect bodes well for him as as a CFL back because that's a, that's a much needed skill. The third quarter was the worst quarter in some ways. There was really nothing of note in the third quarter. There was no scoring, nothing at all happened except for one beautiful play 
Edmonton was driving deep in Argo's territory and Shaq Richardson came up with a beautiful diving interception. At first, I thought it was incomplete because I didn't think there was any way he would have been able to catch that ball. It was so low to the ground and he made this this gorgeous diving catch and you see it on the replay on the scoreboard and and I, I don't know how he got his hands under that, but yeah, it was beautiful. And you and I talked earlier about how this is a guy you, you don't want to target and people haven't all year. Well, they did a bit today, and you end up with an interception in the end zone. But that was it for the third quarter. Uh, Not much else there. The fourth quarter highlights uh, a punt. So Tashiki Sato, who had a really rough day punting, finally in the fourth quarter, and I was so happy for him when this happened, he just absolutely boomed a punt. 60 yards, got a rouge for it. And this was a huge single point at the time. It made up for that missed extra point. And, you know, it wasn't a point that they were looking to get. 60-yard punts, that that's you're lucky if you get a 60-yard punt from anybody, uh, let alone someone who's a specialist as a place kicker and who had been having a really rough day up to that point punting the football. So I was really happy for him on that. He got the single. His first CFL point. Uh, was a 60-yard punt, which is an outstanding way to get your first CFL point. And the game's now closed to a field goal, uh, 10-7, but that was as close uh, as the Argos would get. Edmonton added a field goal uh, after that. Uh, they had a few more drives. Uh, again, were picked off in the end zone. Uh, Jalen Collins with the interception. Uh, but the Argos just seemed determined to turn it back over again. So Cole McDonald came in in the fourth quarter, uh, he struggled as as people do when you're being thrown into the CFL for the very first time in your career. It's it's not easy. And former Argonaut Tremaine Washington had two interceptions on the day. The Argos had a chance late. They got the ball back with with 151 to go in the game, but they ended up turning it over on downs, and, and that was it. Elks win 13-7. Uh, it it was a it was a rough game, JB. Uh, any positives that you can take out of this from anywhere in the game other than what we've already mentioned uh well the game ended that was positive (laughs) so i was happy that 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 came um you know i understand it was you know and nobody significant got hurt so mission accomplished there there were a couple Um, of areas where i was worried Shaq went down at one point and i think he just got a little winded uh he ended up uh tackling Darrell Walker and both players stayed down for a few seconds. Then Shaq got up and, and Walker needed uh, some attention. He was able to come back into the game though, so it, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, when Shaq was lying there on the ground after that tackle, I thought, oh man, like if this if this is something, that's that's a real problem because he's been one of the best players on defense. So that scared me. Uh, other than that, oh man, it was a it was a rough day for Damien Jean Pierre. I felt like he was being helped off the field on pretty much every possession and a, a couple other bangs and bruises, nothing that appeared to be too serious. Matt Boateng, I'm a little worried about. He walked very slowly off the field uh, late in the game and, and didn't come back into the game at that point. So I, I don't know what his status is going to be. Um, and I think the other positives I can take out of it were there were a couple nice performances, not as many as I was hoping for. I really hoped that we'd see one of these new linemen, whether it was Martez Ivy or or Coleman or Zamora, one of those guys, I really wanted them to have a great game and we didn't see that. I did think that Robertson Daniel played really well and this is the first time we've seen him in a game since the the opener. 
and he had that interception. He played solid coverage all night. So I thought that was a real positive. That was nice to see. I thought that Haggerty fared very well playing Sam Backer, a position that he's not really familiar with. I thought he looked pretty good out there. But, you know, other than that, there there really wasn't too much. I, I, I thought maybe maybe one of the receivers would have jumped up. And I know Josh Huff was, was all right. And But I was kind of expecting him to be good. You know, he's not the same. It's not the same when you're looking at Josh Huff as when you're looking at, at Dejan Brissett or, or, you know, one of the younger guys. So, you know, I, I, guess, I guess positive on Robertson Daniel. But yeah, not too much else to draw from this one. Let's get into our plays of the game and players of the game. And then we'll uh, wrap up with some stats at the very end. So... Uh, offensive player of the game, there just wasn't a lot going on, JB. There, it's so hard to choose. I'm going to go with Cameron Scarlett. It was his first CFL game. I thought he looked really good. It wasn't a perfect game. There were moments where he was late to make decisions, where he was approaching a defender, had to make a call left or right, and and basically waited too long and ended up getting wrapped up before he even made a move. That happened a couple of times. And that's just one of those speed of the game things. And I, I think it's something that he can learn from that he can get better at I, I i don't think that's that's gonna stick with him for his whole career but yeah overall i thought he had a very promising first outing as an argo so he's my offensive player of the game what about uh, you jb uh i am not awarding an offensive player of the game uh i thought that the offense was um non-existent and i thought that they didn't try to score and it was painful to watch so i will award no players any kind of recognition on the offensive side of the ball i didn't feel we were getting a lack of effort from players in the game but i didn't feel like they were given much of a game plan to work around no i felt like i, I agree i mean i i mean i think they wanted to but you know i i can't celebrate what it is i watched uh for four quarters on the offensive side of the ball all right, let's move to defense. So for defensive player of the game, I, I'm going with Jack Richardson, which is stunning because I didn't think he was going to get in the game at all. I was I was hoping that he wouldn't get in the game at all because I didn't want anyone that this team is going to really have to depend on to, to play and risk injury. He ended up not only playing, leading the team in tackles with five tackles. He had that gorgeous interception and he, he was Shaq. You know, he was he was playing the way he always plays all night. And so I, I think that's a really easy one. He's my he's my defensive player of the game. Are you picking a defensive player of the game? Yeah, I, th- I thought the defense played really well. I mean, they had more starters. So that was clearly a decision on the defensive side of ball that that they wanted to compete that game. And I thought they did compete. You know, I thought that they played really well and that they controlled Edmonton. And I have no qualms with how the defense played. Um, you know, defensive player, I'll probably give it to, to Josh Haggerty, um, stepping into a starting position at Sam, you know, there was, he got lucky on that one play where the receiver dropped it. Uh, but I thought he held his own at a tough position to suddenly get thrust into. So I'll give him a shout out. Yeah. He ends up with four tackles as well, added another one on special teams and he didn't look out of place at all. Uh, you're right. That, that one play, but that's, that's a play where you do see Sam backers get beat. That's a really yeah, tough route to cover. That's a, t- that's a tough play. Yeah. 
Yeah. So no, I, I completely see that. I thought he fared really well. So yeah, no, I, th- I thought that was, and, and for, for these young guys, that's, that's really what we were looking to cheer for today. These guys that haven't played before. Um, and just to talk about the, the defense and the difference between the defense and the offense today, I didn't actually think the defensive calls were that exotic. It seemed to me that pretty much every play Toronto was sending five. There was some disguising, not a lot, uh, there was a, a sack that Coney Ely got on a bit of an exotic looking play. There was a twist and um, there was a, uh, a I, I can't remember who it was. One of the backers was mugging and then he backed out. Um, but it just wasn't a lot of stuff. Generally, they were showing five and five came and and not much else was going on. But just the difference in in caliber of football player between what was out there on the field for the Toronto defense versus what was out there on the field for the Edmonton offense, that was enough alone. So with the occasional blitz, with the occasional um, twist, with the occasional exotic coverage look, um, they were able to capitalize. But yes, statistically, they ended up with three picks. They only gave up 13 points, some of which is kind of on on the offense for for putting them in a bad position. So yeah, you, you can't really argue with the defensive performance from a coaching standpoint or from a player standpoint. Play of the game. For me, the play of the game was the Shaq Richardson pick. I just thought it was a gorgeous play. Uh, you know, I, a couple of other honorable mentions. That there was a really nice run from Antonio Pipkin. He made some really nice decisions. There was a gorgeous run from uh, Cameron Scarlett. But like you, I think we've got to give more credit to the defense in this one. And that interception was was a thing of beauty. So, yeah, the Shaq Richardson pick is my play of the game. What about you for play of the game, JB? Uh, I wasn't going to give a play of the game, uh, again, kind of going with my disgust. Um, <laughs> but if, if, I, if I'm going to pick one, cause I don't, you know, the guys who were on the field tried, um, I, I really love that block, uh, that Ivy had on that, uh, on that long Pipkin run. Yeah. I thought that was, uh, you know, I mean, obviously that'd be great for a screen game. I thought, I thought that was, that was, that was a nice kind of flash play from him. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to give him that. And we did have flash plays. And Ivy should be a guy that turns into something. You you watch what he's done previously. It's good. He's a good football player. But yeah, he's just struggled a lot. And, and he looked a little better in the, in the short game, the run game, the screen game, than he did pass blocking. And it's the same thing that a lot of these left tackles we've brought in have had trouble with. The sacks he gave up, the pressures and hits that he gave up, uh, were rushes around the edge where he just had trouble with angles, where he didn't quite establish his depth and guys were able to to get around him and make the play. And that's that's what comes from having that extra yard off the ball. It's just different. And it's really hard for guys to adjust. So I'm not by any means giving up on Martez Ivy. I, I think, and I'd say the same thing for Jonathan Zamora. This is his, you know, it's his, it's his first full game. And Coleman, who hasn't played all season, of course, he's he's going to be a bit rough. Now, I actually thought he might look good I thought it might be one of those things where a veteran like this with so much experience, maybe he would come in, but I guess that's a bit unrealistic to expect. So yeah, the line had flashes, but just too many catastrophic failures as well. And you just can't have this. You can't have total whiffs and especially against, against an Edmonton defense. And I know the defensive line is maybe one of the better units on Edmonton, but still you can't, you can't have total whiffs. And, and that was a, a bit of an upsetting thing, but yeah, play of the game, that Ivy block, it was beautiful. And for me, you know, I would just look at like, look at Winnipeg and Montreal, you know, last weekend, like that game meant nothing to Winnipeg, 
but it was a watchable football game. So I just think there, you know, there's a, there are different ways to play games that don't mean anything. And I don't think Winnipeg had nearly the number of players sitting out of that one. They had no, most was, of their important guys sitting, but yeah, not that number. But it was a watchable football game. It wasn't this, which, you know, man, if I had bought a ticket, oof. So let's look, at, let's look at some of the stats. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, is, this is not a great site. So... Passing, we've gone over some of these stats already, but yeah, Taylor Cornelius, 46% passing. He was 15 yeah, he for was 32. Terrible. And yeah, the Argos defense did look really good. Your, your leading rusher, James Wilder Jr., only had 56 yards. Now, he was averaging at a pretty good clip, but a lot of that came from one big run that uh, that uh, he had for 23 yards. Uh, and they did end up with a, about 150 yards rushing on the day, but... I, I don't know. It was never really a lot of that too came from Cornelius, you know, where he was looking to pass, decided to tuck the ball and run. Uh, I didn't feel like they were just getting killed on the ground by any means. And they were doing such a good job in pass coverage. Oh, and that touchdown was so terrible. I mean, it was God almighty. I mean, it was just, I don't know. Come on. I mean, Feeney, <laughs> I mean, he looped in and nobody looped out, but I mean, he was standing behind like six guys, like, you know, trying to look over people's shoulders is like, oh, do you think maybe the loop didn't work? I don't know. It was such yeah, a, that was it, such a terrible. And it felt like it was happening play. in slow motion too. Yeah, it was just like what? <laughs> just <laughs> go back. Like he, he was like in a lineup of six people to get to the quarterback. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Just wait his turn, and he would get to the quarterback. I guess. Uh, not all of the former Argonauts had great days. Terrell Walker did have 63 yards, but not the most efficient day. He had a couple of drops and was four receptions on 13 targets. They just had a ton of trouble getting the ball into his hands every time they went there. There was a defender, you know, right with him. And that's, that's again, a, a tip of the hat to the Argos defensive secondary. Uh, and the... Of all the former Argonauts, uh, the best game, of course, was Tremaine Washington, who had two interceptions, uh, three tackles, two picks. It was it was a nice game from him. So uh, tip of that to Tremaine Washington. On the Argos side, just not a lot to write home about. So 10 of 22 for Pipkin. That's 45 percent, 111 yards with a pick. Cole McDonald, four for eight. Uh, he looked the way that, you know, I, I think you would expect him to look on this and, and not someone that you give up on on this performance. Um, he was put into the game in the fourth quarter where they basically knew Toronto was going to be throwing. But that's an issue I had too. I didn't feel like, I felt like we kind of went into have to throw mode a little soon. There were just under four minutes remaining. And I don't know if they called a running play after well, that. I, didn't I don't understand, think they did. I didn't understand why Cole didn't start the second half. I was, again, you know, just to get my frustrations up before we flushed this game, like, like so, what what are we doing here? Does this game mean nothing, or does it mean something? Why why is why is Pipkin still playing after the sec after the first half? That made that made no sense to me. It felt like that was like an in game decision. I mean, the way they treated that game, it should have been all like, well, this is all predetermined, and now we're gonna bring in Cole, and it's like, you know, what what is it? Is this a predetermined practice, or is this a game you're trying to win? Uh, I, I didn't understand Pipkin playing the third quarter at all. Yeah, I thought for sure McDonald would get a whole half, and if not three quarters. Well, what 
what what was like what is it were you trying to win or we or was it a practice it just very odd some rushing success that we've gone through pipkin nine carries 78 yards uh scarlet 10 carries 57 yards uh damien jampier had had one carry for 14 yards Receiving numbers were not great, as would be the case when your quarterback's numbers are so poor. Josh Huff was the only one with with good numbers, six receptions on eight targets for 67 yards. After that, uh, there wasn't much. Uh, Dejan Brissett, one catch on four targets. Uh, Cam Phillips, two catches on six targets. Brian Jones, two catches on four targets. He had a drop in there, too. Uh, Jean-Pierre, two catches on six targets, and Cam Scarlett caught his only target for eight yards. But yeah, just not much there. A big blank in the field goals category, which is just another sour reminder of what happened out there today. Any final thoughts, JB? It's not all gloom and doom. We do have now a playoff game, not just a playoff game, the East Final to look forward to. We've got two weeks of sitting around and watching, hopefully watching Hamilton suffer before we're back to it but uh yeah what what are you feeling going into this little break here yeah i think you know you give everybody a week off they've earned some rest time to get healthy uh and then they come back and i'm i'm gonna watch montreal film i've i have put the hamilton film into a box in a closet um i believe hamilton has played their last game against toronto this year so i'm 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 all in on montreal and i think that's going to be I mean, that's going to be the toughest game of the year, I think, for uh, for the Argos. I think that's going to be a hell of a game. They're going to need to be, you know, um, they're going to need to be really good and they're going to need to um, have really studied Montreal uh, to to win that game. I think that's going to be I'm, – I'm glad they're at home, but I think that's going to be a real challenge. So I'm going to dig into Montreal film. Yeah, and you and I have been saying this for a few weeks now, and I feel like either we're way off on something or just the the rest of uh, the CFL world doesn't realize it yet. Montreal's a really good football team, and I don't think there's there's no doubt in my mind, actually, about how that game is going to go down. I think Montreal is absolutely going to beat Hamilton, and I think Hamilton is going to be really stunned by that. And you and I would not be at all. I would be stunned at this point. If Hamilton wins that game, yes. it would really surprise me. I would be stunned if Hamilton beat Montreal, whether whether it's in Montreal or in Hamilton. I think, you know, I think Montreal is loaded. Yeah. And uh, so it's going to take some real game planning to uh, going to take some real game planning to beat them, which is exciting. I think, you know, I think you want to play a tough game. I think if if you can beat Montreal, then I think you're you're ready to play Winnipeg, but, um, you know, I think, you know, that's what you want. I mean, that's why you play the games. You don't want a cakewalk to the great cup. So I'm excited. I think the team has shown a gear that we wondered if they had and they showed it. And now, you know, let's flush this game and uh, get ready for the Eastern conference championship. It would obviously be easier if the coaches knew for sure who they were playing. But with this much time, the beauty of it is you've got, You've got weeks now. You've got basically well, three and, weeks. And I don't think, I mean, you know, I'm t- how, I mean, how much more Hamilton do you need, right? <laughs> Played them four times. I mean, I think the hay's in the barn on Hamilton. So that's, that's an advantage. I mean, I think if you have to switch to Hamilton, you know, I think, I think you're pretty locked on what they are. I would, I would think that the, I think the Argos will be focusing on Montreal. 
Yeah, and I, I hope so. And I, I would imagine they would be too. So it, it, it's a nice thing to be able to, as you say, spend a few weeks getting ready for Montreal. If Hamilton somehow wins that game, fine. Dig out your Hamilton box and, and go back to the four games of film uh, where you were playing them, three of which have you beating them. And, you know, I think that's fine. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.